Warning, the following program is solely intended for a mature audience. Any of the idiotic opinions and views expressed on this show are solely opinions of Dark Cringe Radio and not of its advertisers, which is completely pointless because this poorly produced, dumbass podcast has no advertisers. Furthermore, any rebroadcast or redistribution of Dark Friend Radio podcasts without per- the permission is strictly prohibited. If you do, we will find you. And then we will send three black-eyed children to your home or office to collect your soul. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Coming to you live from the Mistopheles Studios, it's Dark Fringe Radio. Thanks, everybody, for joining in at Dark Fringe Radio. I'm your host, Will Martinez, and uh, we got a great episode for you guys tonight. We're going to be talking about the 27 Club, and uh, for those that don't uh, that don't know, it's uh, definitely a a club you don't want to be a part of. So we'll be talking about that here for the majority of the podcast. Uh, I want to give a special thanks and shout out to all the uh, followers on our social media. Um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Thanks so much for sharing and liking all that information. Uh, you guys do such a phenomenal job of doing that. I really do appreciate it. Uh, the more that you do it, the more you spread the word about this kick-ass podcast, and that way people can find out about uh, this uh, particular brand of entertainment uh, for you guys to listen to. So I hope you guys continue to do that and enjoy all the, uh, the content that I... Uh, put out there for you guys to uh, check out, enjoy, and talk about, and ponder upon. So, uh, nevertheless, thank you so much to all those people, and uh, can't thank you enough. So, tonight we're going to be talking about the 27 Club, but I figured I'd be talking about a little of, uh, some news, uh, some headlines, uh, and uh, we'll get into all that here in a second as well. I uh, wanted to uh, remind everybody on um, how to get our podcast uh, for some of those that don't know uh it's uh pretty simple it it all depends on what kind of a uh, smartphone you have what mobile device you have if you're an iphone uh user uh it's pretty simple all you'd go do is uh you go straight to your itunes your itunes store and uh, you look up dark fringe radio and right there will pop up and you can just subscribe to our podcast It'll pop up on a weekly basis or give you a reminder or automatically download to your device. It's all uh, dependent on what you guys uh, choose to do, so it's all in your hands. Um, So that's it. On the iPhone side, it's pretty simple. For the Android users, uh, it's also very uh, uh, relatively simple. All you got to do is you go to your Google Play app, uh, which is, uh, it looks like an orange arrow. Um, and it's the Google Play app, and you just go to the search uh, tab at the top, and you look up Dark Fringe Radio, and we're going to pop up right there under the podcast and section at the bottom, and um, you won't be able to miss it, and this, you can do the same thing, subscribe uh, to that, um, and you can also choose for it to be uh, downloaded to your device if you choose to, or just give you a, a weekly update once a new uh, episode has been dropped, so... Uh, please go ahead and do that for both of those. It's very simple, like I said. Uh, either one of those two avenues, um, if you have a smartphone, uh, iPhone, or if you have an Android phone, it's very simple. So uh, we will be on Spotify pretty soon. That's our next uh, venture that we're uh, reaching out to. 
and uh, trying to get our episodes and um, content on that particular platform. So be on the lookout for that pretty soon in the near future. But again, um, very simple to uh, listen to our podcast on iPhone and for the Android users, please check that out. So I wanted to get into some headlines this week. And um, the main burning uh, headline of the week so far is the Florida school shooting in Parkland that happened last week. Coincidentally enough, that's just the uh, next county over from where I live here particularly. And um, it's... um, it, it shook up a lot of people in this area. There's been a lot of demonstrations, a lot of walkouts have uh, been happening uh, in the schools in the area. Um, here, also locally in the Palm Beach County area, uh, we're seeing a lot of children and also students just just speak out about this. And actually, I think in more, in any instance now, I've seen more of an outcry and a uh, overall media blitz from these, uh, you know, from these students um, at this school that um, are really taking it upon themselves to try to send a message to uh, Washington, uh, you know, regarding, you know, gun control and or whatever that could be done that make sure that this doesn't happen again. Now, the debate is obviously what is the the solution to the problem? And that in itself is the most polarizing question because um, you get a lot of people who are very headstrong in their belief, and um, especially some that are, uh, you know, very heavy Second Amendment believers. Which there's nothing wrong with that, but, but I think that that amendment is uh, taken sometimes out of context and out of um, common sense. But nevertheless, um, this school shooting uh, happened last week, and basically a gunman set off fire alarms at a Florida high school on on February 14th, uh, luring hundreds of students out of their classrooms so he could open fire with a semi-automatic AR-15 assault rifle. Uh, After firing several rounds, the shooting suspect, identified as 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz, dropped his weapon and hit among the crowd as authorities evacuated students and faculty members from the majority Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Uh, police captured Cruz over an hour later in Coral Springs, located about a mile away. He was taken to a hospital and then released into police custody. Uh, Cruz has been charged with 17 counts of premeditated murder. Uh, 14 others were wounded in the shooting, including several with life-threatening injuries. Now I'm going to get into a timeline of events that happened. To that Fox News alert for you, demons made him do it. That is what the teenager who confessed to gunning down 17 people at his former high school is reportedly telling police. He's being held without bail, now formally charged with 17 counts of premeditated murder. Let's get right to Rob Schmidt. He's live in Parkland, Florida with the new details of his troubled past. Rob. Yeah, Heather, right outside the high school this morning. Good morning to you. And we're getting a picture now of a very sick young man, a 19-year-old young man with an obsession with guns, with violence, uh, with killing animals, Uh, a young man that's confessed to police that he committed this crime, telling police that uh, there were demons in his head that made him do this. Uh, His adoptive mother died in the fall. Police think that might have contributed to this uh, shocking act. Uh, He was expelled from this high school about a year ago uh, after some kind of an altercation at the school. Uh, And then just three days later, he would buy the weapon that he would use uh, in this horrible attack that we saw on Wednesday. We also yesterday uh, got a timeline of how this all went down. Uh, It all started around 2.06 in the afternoon 
on Valentine's Day on Wednesday when he took an Uber to this high school, to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School here in Parkland, Florida, right outside Fort Lauderdale. At 221, he enters the east stairwell of one of the buildings here, uh, and this whole thing went down rather fast. He walks out of the building, or he walks out of the stairwell and starts going into classrooms on the first and second floor. He shoots for only a, a matter of minutes, less than five minutes, he was firing this high-powered semi-automatic rifle into students in the classrooms and in hallways uh, in just a horrific act. Uh, at 228, or a little before that, he runs up to the third floor, he drops the gun, then he comes back downstairs and runs out of the school at 228, just about seven minutes later, amongst the students in a panic, trying to get away. Uh, at 250, he arrives at a Walmart, which is not too far from the campus here. Uh, he walks or runs to that Walmart. He gets a drink at Subway at 3.01 in the afternoon. He is uh, at a McDonald's. He hangs out there for a little bit, and then he leaves and is found in a nearby neighborhood at about 3.40 in the afternoon by a police officer, and he is arrested. Now, his first court appearance was yesterday as well, yesterday afternoon, and what we saw was a, a frightened and cowering 19-year-old young man standing there being consoled by his public defender. Uh, it was a very bizarre thing to see, uh, and he is charged with 17 counts of premeditated murder. Uh, as he found out in his first court appearance yesterday. Uh, and his public defender uh, showed some compassion uh, for the, the person that committed this horrible crime. Let's listen to that. He's a broken human being. He's a broken child. The sadness that this community is feeling, I mean, my children are... They're, they go to school in this community. I feel horrible for these families. And Mr. Cruz feels that pain. Uh, just a terrible story all around. We are also learning this morning that the FBI, uh, or we have learned that the FBI had some kind of a warning uh, about the possibility of something like this happening. He had left a message on YouTube uh, saying that he was a school shooter in training. Uh, that message, uh, that warning went to the FBI and nothing ever came of that. And there are also questions about how exactly he got into this school, which houses about 3,000 students uh, in this neighborhood. Uh, he walked right into an east stairwell and he had access to the school that easily. He had been banned from the school. Uh, while wearing a backpack. He was not a student here. Uh, so the fact that he was able to carry an AR-15 into the school so easily uh, is, is another question that a lot of people have this morning and will continue to be the story as this develops. Heather, we'll send it back to you. Yeah, so he was able to carry this weapon into the school unnoticed and was able to, you know, wreak all this havoc in, you know, just this, you know, small amount of time. And, you know, I don't know what the um, the solution to this problem is, um, but it is a continuing problem, um, and um, it's getting worse and worse, as you can tell. We're dealing with more and more school shootings um, as the years go on. Um, I can't recall any year where it's gotten worse as it has this year already. Uh, we're barely, you know, halfway through February or almost done with February, and now, um, you know, this has already happened, and we still have you know, another 10 more months to go before the year end. So long story short, it's just, um, I don't know what the solution to the problem is. I do know one thing, and I will say this. I don't think that there is a necessity for an AR-15 out there. Um, I don't think that should be readily available to anybody on the street. I know that's an unpopular opinion, um, but that's just my opinion. Um, because at the end of the day, um, I think that, uh, uh, a weapon of that magnitude that has the capability of killing so many people at, especially for somebody that doesn't, re it doesn't require someone to um, have a lot of training to be proficient in. 
because it doesn't require you to be proficient in it because of the accuracy of the weapon itself. Um, when you're dealing with an AR-15, the f- rate of fire is very high, and um, you are gonna, you know, you are gonna injure multiple people uh, with a weapon of that magnitude. Uh, and again, it doesn't require a lot of um, aiming or um, marksmanship or training uh, to use um, that kind of weapon. Unlike a handgun, to be very accurate with the handgun is very difficult, um, especially if you're using a high caliber handgun, like for instance, a 45. I'm looking at this kid who's a 19 year old kid, and if he had a 45, I don't think he'd be able to aim it very well, or if not, He'd get tired after uh, maybe getting through about you know ten or twelve rounds, but um, nevertheless, I just that's my opinion when it comes to the AR-15 issue. Again, it's a very sad, sad situation uh, that happened here. Again, I don't know what the answer is, but I do know uh, that there are things out there that should not be available to uh, just anybody, and um, you know, take it as it may. But um, again, that's uh, what we're dealing with in this day and age. It's uh, amazing that um, you know we'd have to worry about something like this. This is something I never ever had to worry. Thought we would ever have to worry about, but um, again, that's um, again how life is. So, my next um, topic I wanted to uh, touch on was the uh, Winter Olympics. Um, we just came to a pretty much a, a, a finale on that, and um, of course, I had to watch my curling and. Uh, <laughs> I, I got into it again, and uh, the U.S. men's, uh, you know, did it this year, and they won. Uh, but the um, funny thing is about this whole thing is is that, again, the Simpsons predicted that the U.S. men's curling team would win gold. And um, I kid you not, uh, they've done it again. Eight years ago, the Simpsons actually predicted that they would win the gold in curling. Just like the show predicted Lady Gaga doing the Super Bowl halftime show and, and the Donald Trump presidency, not to mention that creepy picture with him and the, uh, I think it was the Sheik from Saudi Arabia touching that weird orb. Yeah, that was pretty weird. The Simpsons hit the nail on the head once again eight years ago, uh, predicting that the gold medal run for the U.S. men's curling team. The episode was entitled Boy Meets Curl, and Homer and Marge led Team USA to a gold medal. Uh, beating out Sweden and Russia in that episode to uh, claim the top prize. Obviously, the show didn't get its prediction 100% correct. Instead of Russia, uh, Switzerland got the bronze this time around, but it's impossible not to be blown away by this prediction anyway. I mean, this is not the first time that they've done this. This is not the second time. This is not the third time. This is maybe about the fourth or fifth time they've predicted something. But, um, you know, they have been on the you know the air for a long period of time. And I was saying to claiming its first gold medal ever this year, Team USA's curling was a big hit in terms of popularity, too. Uh, In particular, John Schuster and uh, Matt Hamilton made headlines the latter for his unbelievably awesome mustache, ranking number six and number 36 on Sunday's SNIP Daily Olympics Top 100. So, yeah, this uh, these guys have become overnight sensations. Congratulations to the. Uh, USA men's curling team for the gold medal. And uh, again, congratulations to the Simpsons for predicting another another moment in history. So, you know, good for them. I don't know how they're doing it. I, it who knows? It's, 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 it's kind of mind-boggling to me, but um, again, they have done it. So uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about was I've watched a show on Netflix. It's called Black Mirror. I'm not sure... Uh, if any of you guys have uh, watched this show, but it's a great show. 
about um, AI and the internet and how it can change our humanity in the future and the things that we could possibly be looking forward to in the future uh, when it comes to all this technology and things that are being developed in our time. Now, there is an episode where there is a company that uh, can take a dead person and take their consciousness and put it into a robot. And basically, there's a um, there's a team of Swedish scientists that are actually looking to do this. Um, revive the dead in robots with AI. They intend to make fully conscious copies of the dead in a bid to offer digital immortality. A number of Swedish scientists are researching how to produce digital copies of those who have already passed away. Dagen Daily has reported that they are also planning to set about making robots that which would resemble the deceased. To this end, the Swedish uh, funeral agency Phoenix is currently looking for volunteers who would give them the green light to scientists to replicate uh, the images of their deceased relatives. Uh, the artificial intelligence technology is projected to reconstruct voices of those dead, as well as teach the computer program to answer elementary questions such as those connected with funeral arrangements. The program is hoped to evolve still further, eventually mastering quick responses to simple questions on everyday life or the weather, for instance. Uh, the program may might one day even approximate the level of sophistication of the AI portrayed in the sensational television series Black Mirror, in which the revolutionary programs are, in essence, sentient human clones, capable of not just talking, but coming into physical contact with real people. Uh, scientists noted that as far as back as 30 years ago, people stuck to a couple of pictures of their deceased relatives as, as the only memory of them. Whereas nowadays, the technology could enable one to talk to a program which provides the image of the departed one, allowing them and their relatives to relive the happy moments of their past. Meanwhile, some of the world's most famed scientists, including Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk, have warned more than once about the virtual dangers of the AI technologies. So, yeah, uh, I, I, can't, I can't say enough how technology can be so good and, again, so bad for us. I, I I read this article and I was like, you know, for some people who maybe um, are suffering from maybe some type of PTSD from maybe a loved one that they lost in a tragic way, and it's a good way for, you know, maybe a good therapeutic way of them letting go and um, and have some type of closure, maybe that would be good for them. I'm not sure. I'm not a psychologist. What I do know is this. Once you start making clones of the deceased and then also start making robots with them what is to say uh, when you don't know when the next person may be a deceased person and just a robot copy of them when is it going to get to that point so that's that's the question that we really have to ask ourselves is are we willing to you know trade that uh <laughs> that luxury in life uh for having you know the memories of deceased people inside robots that's uh that's a you know that's a heavy question um again is the juice worth the squeeze so i always say that when it comes to technology so uh interesting article there and uh last but not least uh zach bagans from the ghost adventures crew uh from the travel channel zach bagans is the host of 
and um, also the lead investigator of uh, The Ghost Adventures. It's a show on the Travel Channel that basically it's a group of uh, four guys that go around and investigate different locations in the United States and also um, abroad. And um, Zach uh, Bagans, the uh, the lead investigator and host, he bought a house um, some time ago and it was uh, dubbed the Demon House. And um, a lot of uh, crazy stuff started happening there. And um, they were supposed to do a special on TV. On That never happened. It got scrapped. Um, some stuff started happening at the house. And I, I guess, you know, it, you know the, the special for TV never got made. I don't know what happened. But long story short, um, it looks like a Demon House trailer had just came out that he put out uh, today. Um, it's a documentary that explores the infamous uh, house of uh, 200 demons, as they've dubbed it. So you've no doubt seen the plenty of horror movies to start with a documentary crew heading into an infamously haunted house, of course. But Demon House is doing it for real. The new horror documentary comes from the paranormal investigator and host of the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures, Zach Bagans. And Bagans writes and directs and hosts the new film, which takes the viewers inside the Gary, Indiana paranormal hotspot known as the House of 200 Demons, where former residents have reported all kinds of supernatural experience from possession to levitation. Uh, since the Indianapolis Star first revealed that the house's unusual happenings in 2014, and since then the phenomena has reported on the USA Today, Fox News, and Huffington Post. And uh, with Demon House, you can step inside the so-called Portal to Hell alongside Bagans and his crew to get a first-hand look at the spooky spot. Uh, Demon House also features Bagans, Ghost Adventures crew Jay Wosley and Billy Tolly, and arrives in theaters on Video On Demand and Digital HD on March 16th, 2018, of course. So I want to go ahead and play the trailer now uh, for you guys uh, to check out Zach Bagans' Demon House documentary. I came to kill that boy to kill him. I'm Zach Bagans. I'm one of the world's leading researchers on ghosts and demonology. And this film is cursed. A story about a demon possession makes international news. Now look at one of the most documented cases of demon possession and exorcism in recent history. The next day, over the phone, I buy the house, sight unseen. In my 37 years of police investigation, I've never run into anything like that before. I just got the keys to the demon house. You think it's dangerous for me to be in that house? I wouldn't be there. She had holes in both her wrists, it was like little cuts. They called 911. They called 911. They did. It was an unidentifiable voice. I only heard it on the recording. Who in there? Something came back. I don't know if it was that demon, but something came back. I put the crucifix on her head. She began convulsing. It was at a six. What just happened? You attacked Jay. If people are making this up, I'm gonna catch him. Why is it spiking? We were just around my house and we see three police cars. This is what it all comes down to. 
face. It doesn't want me, it wants you. Yeah, Demon House. So uh, that's um, a uh, new documentary that's going to be coming out here, uh, March sixteenth, uh, on all different uh, on all different fronts and platforms. So you can check it out there. So, well, that uh, that's pretty much uh, it for the intro, guys. Um, we're going to be getting into here uh, the Twenty Seven Club here in a minute, and uh, just stick around. for the law. Surprise you, Pete. I gave you credit for more brains than Delmer. But they was witnesses seen us redeemed. That's not the issue, Delmer. Even if it did put you square with the Lord, the state of Mississippi's a little more hard-nosed. You should have joined us, Everett. It couldn't have hurt none. Hell, at least it would have washed away the stink of that palmade. Join you two ignorant fools in a ridiculous superstition, thank you anyway, and I like the smell of my hair treatment. The pleasing odor's half the point. Baptism. You two are just dumber than a bag of hammers. Well, I guess you're just my cross to bear. Pull over, Everett. Let's give that colored boy a lift. You fools going past Tishmingo? Sure, hop in. How you doing, son? Name's Everett. These two soggy sons of bitches are uh, Pete and Delmer. Keep your fingers away from Pete's mouth. He ain't had nothing to eat for 13 years except prison food, gopher, and a little greasy horse. Thanks for the lift, sir. My name's Tommy. Tommy Johnson. How you doing, Tommy? Say, I haven't seen a house out here for miles. What are you doing out in the middle of nowhere? Well, I had to be at that there crossroads last midnight. Sell my soul to the devil. Ain't it a small world, spiritually speaking? Pete and Delmer just been baptized and saved. I guess I'm the only one that remains unaffiliated. This ain't no laughing matter, Everett. What'd the devil give you for your soul, Tommy? Well, he taught me to play this here guitar real good. Oh, son, for that you traded your everlasting soul? Well, I wouldn't use it. I've always wondered, what's the devil look like? Well, of course, they're all manner of lesser imps and demons, Pete, but the great Satan himself is red and scaly with a bifurcated tail, and he carries a hay for him. Oh, no. No, sir. He's white. As white as you folks. With empty eyes and a big hollow voice. He loved to travel around with a mean old hound. That's right. He told you to go to Tishomango? Well, no, sir. Well, that was my idea. I heard there's a man down there. He pays folks money singing to his can. They say he pays an extra if you play real good. Tishomingo, huh? How much he pay? All right, guys, welcome back. And um, we're going to get into the 27 Club here. And it's uh, a topic I wanted to talk about for quite some time. And it's always interested me because um, I'm always, um, you know, interested in uh, curses and uh, things that are repetitive in history. And I'm a music lover on top of that. I love all different types of music. And um, 
when I first heard about the 27 Club, I thought it was something out of a myth. But um, the more and more you look at it, the more and more you kind of realize that, um, you know, a lot of these stars that are so young and at the top of their game, um, pretty much, um, just spiral out of control and um, find themselves at the end of their life at that age. And it's a quite uh, a polarizing uh, thing because some people say it's like, oh, you know, it's just circumstance. Um, a lot of other people say, no, it's definitely a curse of the 27 Club. But who knows? I mean, it branches out a lot of music as well. Um, it, it branches out into to, to actors. Um, so, you know, it's uh, it's quite a phenomenon that um, that's definitely made its place in the music industry. And we're going to go... I'm going to go down a list of um, the most prominent names in the 27 Club uh, that uh, you, I'm sure, have heard of. And uh, we'll start with number one on the list, and that, of course, is Jimi Hendrix. And, of course, Jimi Hendrix, to me, is the quintessential greatest guitarist of all time. Basically, he exploded our idea of what rock music could be. He manipulated the guitar, the whammy bar. Uh, he was... a forced to be reckoned with on the studio and on the stage um, on the songs like Machine Gun or Voodoo Child um, his instrument was like a divining rod of the turbulent 60s you can hear like the riots in the streets and the napalm bombs just dropping in his rendition of the Star Spangled Banner and um, he was playing effortlessly I mean it, when you saw him it was just like it was like him breathing it, it was like somebody walking down the street it looked like so easy for him so uh, there's not one minute of his recorded career that feels like he was working hard at it. Uh, it always felt like it was just flowing through him. Um, and the most beautiful song of Jimi Hendrix's legacy of you know songs that he's written and, and, and composed is Little Wing. And um, it's just a gorgeous song that, just as a guitar player like myself, you can study your whole life and not get down. Never get inside it you know, the way he does. You'll never be able to duplicate it. I mean, you'd have to be super, super good. Uh, and even then, it just probably won't sound the same. And um, he seamlessly waved through the chords and single note runs together and uses chord voicings that, you know, they don't appear in any music books. And his riffs were a pre-metal funk rendition of rock. And uh, his lead lines were an electric LSD trip down the crossroads where... He pimp slapped the devil. I mean, pretty much that's what it was like. It, I mean, it was like no holds barred rock, and he was, uh, you know, the first man to really, really uh, put it out there. Um, there are arguments about who was the first guitar player to use feedback, but it really doesn't matter because Hendrix used it better than anybody else anyway. Uh, he uh, took to what was to become the 70s funk, and he put it through like a Marshall stack, and he did it in a way that nobody else ever had done. So... Um, it's impossible to think of what Jimi Hendrix would be doing now. I mean, it's kind of funny that, you know, if he was still alive, um, you know, what would he be? Uh, would he be like an elder statement of rock or would he be like Sir Jimi Hendrix or something like that? Or would he be doing some kind of residency off the Vegas Strip like you see a lot of the other ones do? Uh, Jimi Hendrix was pronounced dead at, uh, 12.45 p.m. on September 18th, 1970, and, um... An inquest was completed on September 28th and was concluded that Hendrix aspirated on his own vomit and died of asphyxia while intoxicated with barbiturates. Uh, citing uh, quote-unquote insufficient evidence on the circumstances, uh, they declared an open verdict. And, and Daneman, who was um, Jimmy, uh, Jimi Hendrix's girlfriend at the time, 
uh, who actually was the one who called the uh, the paramedics and 911, uh, later revealed that Hendrix had taken nine of her prescribed uh, Vesperax sleeping tablets. Uh, basically, it was 18 times the recommended dosage. So it sounds like from all accounts that he uh, definitely overdosed on uh, sleeping pills. But again, I mean, why would you, you know, throw away such a promising career for, um, you know, just a high? Uh, I, I don't get it. But again, I'm not in that mindset. So but uh, yeah, that's Jimi Hendrix. Uh, to me, the greatest guitarist of all time. Uh, definitely uh, a legend. I mean, just as popular now as he was then. That brings me to uh, number two on the list, uh, Janis Joplin. And um, Janis Joplin was a, a, a huge uh, legend, legendary figure in the 60s. And um, she was basically called the greatest white urban blues and soul singer of her generation. Uh, her vocal intensity proved a perfect match for a high-energy music of the Big Brother and the Holding Company, which was a band in that time, uh, resulting in a mix of blues, folk, and psychedelic rock. Uh, Joplin's tenure with the Big Brother uh, may have been brief, lasting only from 1966 uh, to 1968, but it yielded a pair of albums that included the milestone Cheap Thrills in 1968. Uh, moreover, her performance with Big Brother at 1967's Monterey International Pop Festival, a highlight of the film documentary Monterey Pop in 1968, is among the greatest performances in rock history. Uh, Joplin was born in 1943 in Port Arthur, Texas, an oil refining town on the coast. Uh, growing up, she was a social outcast who found an outlet in music. And Joplin was uh, drawn to blues, Odetta, Lead Belly, and Bessie Smith, and soul, like Otis Redding and Tina Turner and Etta James. Uh, she performed folk blues on Coffee House Circuit in Texas and San Francisco before hooking up with Big Brother. Uh, guitarist James Gurley and Sam Andrew, bassist Peter Album, and drummer David Getz, at the suggestion of Chet Helms, a hip entrepreneur and fellow Texan. Uh, the chemistry came as a revelation even to Joplin. All of a sudden, someone threw me out in front of this rock and roll band, she said, and I decided then and there that it was it. I never wanted to do anything else. Big Brother were loud, explosive, and somewhat deliberately crude in their melange of blues and psychedelia. Helms, one of a group of event organizers who called themselves the Family Dog, booked the group in some of the earliest bills on the nascent San Francisco scene. Uh, Big Brother became regulars at the Helms Avalon Ballroom in the mid to late 60s. And it was at the Avalon where much of the Cheap Thrills, an album that topped the album charts for eight weeks in 1968, was recorded. That explosive showcase of psychedelic soul featured Joplin's raw, impassionated readings of Willie Mae Thornton's Ball and Chain and Peace of My Heart. The latter song, which had been the top 10 R&B hit in 1967 for Irma Franklin, Aretha's younger sister, was co-written by Jerry Ragavoy, a favorite songwriter of Joplin's. As a solo artist, she would record three other songs of his, including Cry Baby, Get It While You Can, and Try. Joplin left Big Brother in December 1968, taking guitarist Sam Andrew with her. In her first solo album, I Got Them Old Cosmic Blues Again, Mama, appeared in 1969, and she toured extensively with her Cosmic Blues Band. By mid-1970, however, she dissolved that outfit and formed a superb new one, Full Tilt Boogie. 
They gelled over the course of several months of touring and entered the studio to record what would turn out to be Joplin's swan song. Joplin had often sought refuge in drugs and alcohol, and she was found dead of a heroin overdose in a Hollywood hotel room on October 4, 1970. The posthumously released Pearl 1971, the title, was her nickname, compromised nine finished tracks and one instrumental to which she was supposed to have added vocals on that day she died. It was prophetically titled Buried Alive in the Blues. Pearl became Joplin's biggest seller, holding down the number one spot for nine weeks in 1971. It included Me and Bobby McGee, a song written by her ex-lover Chris Christopherson, a quick exotic portrait of countercultural love affairs sung by Joplin as an affectionate, road-weary country blues. Me and Bobby McGee perfectly captured the bohemian spirit of times. The powerful performances on Pearl, including Moreover, Half Moon, and Get It While You Can, hint at what might have been Joplin as she had not have died at 27. So, another great... Um, you know, legend of her time and only could imagine if she would have stayed alive throughout this whole time. I mean, what if she would have been an elder statesman of, of, of the blues and R and B. I mean, she was so ahead of her time. Her voice was so recognizable. You, when you hear her voice, you know, it's her automatically. There's no mistaking it. So uh, that brings me to uh, number three on the list. And um, most will know this name. It's Kurt Cobain. And, you know, Kurt Cobain was uh, born on February 20th, 1967 in Aberdeen, Washington. Uh, Kurt and his family lived in Hoquim uh, for f- the first few months of his life and later moved back to Aberdeen, uh, where he had a happy childhood into his parents' divorce. The divorce left Kurt's outlook on the world forever scarred. Uh, he became withdrawn and antisocial. He was constantly placed with one of relative to the next, living with friends and at times even homeless. Kurt was not the most popular person in high school as he was in public school. And in 1985, Kurt left Aberdeen for Olympia, where he formed the band Nirvana in 1986. In 1989, Nirvana recorded their debut album Bleach under the independent label Sub Pop Records. And Nirvana became a very popular in Britain, and by 1991, they had signed a contract with Geffen. Their next album, Nevermind, became a 90s masterpiece and made Kurt's Nirvana one of the most successful bands in the world. Uh, Kurt became trampled upon with success and found a new lifestyle hard to bear. In February 1992, Kurt married Courtney Love, the woman who was already pregnant with his child, Francis Bean Cobain. Nirvana released their next album, Insecticide, later that year. The album appealed to many of the fans due to the liner notes, which expressed Kurt's open-mindedness. In September 1993, Nirvana released their next album, In Utero, which topped the charts. On March 4, 1994, Kurt was taken to the hospital in a coma, and it was officially stated as an accident, but many believe it had to have been an unsuccessful suicide attempt. Family and friends convinced Kurt to seek rehab. Kurt was said to have fled rehab only a few days from a missing persons report filed by Courtney Love. On April 8th, Kurt's body was found in his Seattle home. In his arms was a shotgun, which had been fired to his head, and near him laid a suicide note written in red ink. It was addressed to his wife, Courtney Love, and his daughter, Frances Bean Cobain. And two days later, Kurt's body was discovered 
and people gathered in Seattle and they began setting fires, chanting profanities, and fighting with police officers. They also listened to a tape of Courtney reading sections of the suicide note left by Kurt. The last few words, I love you, I love you. Yeah, very sad ending to that, uh, that particular story. Which uh, brings me uh, to number four, a uh, very uh, you know, polarizing figure in the psychedelic rock scene, Jim Morrison. And uh, singer and songwriter Jim Morrison was born James Douglas Morrison on December 8th, 1943 in Melbourne, Florida. His mother, Clara Clark Morrison, was a homemaker and his father, George Stephen Morrison, was a naval aviator who rose to the rank of rear admiral. Uh, George Morrison was the commander of the U.S. Naval Forces abroad, the flagship of the USS Bonhomme Richard during the 1964 Gulf of Tonkin incident that helped ignite the Vietnam War. Admiral Morrison was also a skilled pianist who enjoyed performing for friends at parties, and Jim Morrison's younger brother Andy remembered that there was always a big crowd around the piano with my dad playing popular songs that he could pick up by ear. The family, of course, moved uh, frequently, though it settled down in Washington, D.C., suburb of Alexandria, Virginia, where Morrison attended high school and was a good but rebellious student. He began his college education in 1961 at St. Petersburg's Junior College in Florida and developed his talents as a performer by reciting poetry at the local Butte Arts Coffee House. He subsequently transferred to Florida State University and then to the University of California in Los Angeles, where he studied film. There he met Ray Manzarek, who played the organ in the rock group that the two formed in 1965 with guitars Robbie Krieger and drummer John Densmore. They called themselves The Doors, taking their name from the Aldous Huxley book on masculine, The Doors of Perception which was itself titled after a line by William Blake. For a brief period in the mid-1960s, the Doors were the house of the band Whiskey A Go-Go, a much-storied club on the Sunset Strip in Los Angeles. At about the same time, the group signed with Elektra Records, for which they released a string of hit singles including Light My Fire in 1967, Hello, I Love You in 1968, and the critically acclaimed albums such as the Doors in 1967 and L.A. Woman in 1971. The dark edge eroticism of Morrison's baritone voice and poetic lyrics helped make the band one of the rock music's most potent, controversial, and theatrical arts. Morrison was known for his drinking and drug use and outrageous stage behavior, and during a 1969 concert in Miami, he allegedly exposed himself on stage and was later convicted on indecent exposure and in profanity charges. He was sentenced to six months in prison, but was granted bail pending his appeal. In uh, 2010, he was posthumously pardoned. In 1971, Morrison left the doors to write poetry and moved to Paris, where he died of heart failure. His grave in the Pierre Lachaise Cemetery became a mecca for music fans and one of Paris's most unlikely tourist attractions. In 1978, the remaining former Doors gathered again to record the backing tracks for poetry and Morrison had recorded before his death, releasing the result, An American Prayer by Jim Morrison, Music by the Doors. The band and Morrison's story came to the motion picture screen as The Doors in 1991, directed by Oliver Stone. 
So there you go. There's uh, Jim Morrison, a very boisterous, uh, very flamboyant figure uh, for that time and really uh, was, I would say, the grandfather of the psychedelic rock movement. So that uh, brings me to my last but not least, uh, Amy Winehouse. And this is probably one of the most uh, recognizable ones out of all of them on the list because of how recent this particular one was. And Amy Winehouse was a five-time Grammy Award-winning English singer-songwriter known for such hits as Rehab and You Know I'm No Good, among her other works. She was born Amy Jade Winehouse on September 14, 1983 in Enfield, London, England, to a Jewish family with Russian ancestry on her mother's side. Her father, Mitchell Winehouse, was a taxi driver. Her mother, Janice Winehouse, was a pharmacist. Her family shared her love of theater and music. Amy was brought up on jazz music. She received her first guitar at the age of 13 and taught herself how to play. Young Amy Winehouse was a rebellious girl. At the age of 14, she was expelled from Sylvia Young's Theater School in Marylebone, London. At the time, she pierced her nose and tattooed her body. She briefly attended the Brit School of Croydon and began her professional career at 16, performing occasional club gigs and recording low-cost demos. At age 19, she recorded her debut, Frank, in 2003, a jazz-tinged album that became a hit and earned her several award nominations. During the next several years, she survived a period of personal upheaval a painful relationship and struggles with substance abuse. Her 2006 album Black on Black was an international hit and Rehab made number 9 of the U.S. pop charts. Her big break came in 2008. Amy Winehouse became the first British female to win five Grammy Awards on the same night, February 10th, 2008, including Best New Artist and Record for the Year for Rehab. Her Grammy performance was broadcast from London via satellite, because she was unable to appear in person in Los Angeles due to temporary problems with her traveling visa. Following her success at the Grammy Awards, Winehouse gave a string of highly successful performances during the year of 2008. In June, she was suddenly hospitalized with a serious lung condition. However, she left the hospital for one evening to perform for the Nelson Mandela on his 90th birthday celebration in London's Hyde Park. She sang her hits Rehab and Valerie, drawing cheers and applause from the crowds and a smile from Mandela. Winehouse also performed for Roman Abramovich's party in Moscow. Uh, there she earned $2 million for her one-hour gig. Amy Winehouse uh, developed a distinctive style of her own. Her uh, signature beehive hairstyle had become a model for fashion designers, while her vulnerability, her fragile personality, and her self-destructive behavior was regular tabloid news and subject of criticism and controversy. In uh, 2008, she was named the second greatest ultimate heroine by British population at large, and a month later was voted the second most hated personality in the UK. George Michael called her the best female vocalist he has ever heard in his entire career, while Keith Richard warned that she won't be around long if her behavior doesn't change. Musically, Amy Winehouse created a cross-cultural and cross-genre style. She experimented with an eclectic mix of jazz, soul, pop, reggae, world beat, and R&B. She had a special ability to channel her hurt and despair into her performances. 
Uh, her voice phrasing and delivery sometimes sounded like a mix between Billie Holiday, Dinah Washington, and Sarah Vaughn. And coupled with similarities in personal problems, she at times resembled another incarnation of the legendary Lady Blues. Amy Winehouse died at the age of 27 on the 23rd of July 2011 in her London home following a long running battle with alcohol addiction. She was cremated at Golders Green Crematorium and her ashes were laid to rest at the Edgewarebury Jewish Cemetery in London, United Kingdom. Her death caused considerable mourning worldwide. So, uh, yeah, there you go, Amy Winehouse. I mean, uh, what a another fabulous singer and uh, crazy career. I mean, just a, a rocket ship of a career. And God knows how much further it would have gone. I mean, she was on such a, a trajectory at that moment in her career that it just, uh, who knows of what status she would have been now if she was alive and, and uh, well and, you know, continuing to put out the kind of music she was doing then. So... Um, another sad, um, you know, victim to, um, you know, this uh, crazy 27 club. So I wanted to wrap this up and uh, with a couple of notable mentions that are also on this list. First, I wanted to mention Brian Jones. He was the uh, founding member and guitarist of the Rolling Stones. And um, some may know and some may not know, but he died from uh, drowning in a pool one month after being kicked out of the band on uh, July 3rd of 1969. He was 27. And, um, yeah, so he was literally in the band for one month, got kicked out and killed himself. So a lot of people don't remember Brian Jones and, um, you know, they just know that the members of the band now, uh, because of his short stint. So another uh, notable mention of the 27 club and uh, last but not least Robert Johnson and Robert Johnson. I'm not sure, uh, many of you may or may not know, but, um, he was the pioneering blues musician. Uh, and guitarist. Uh, he was uh, infamously uh, known as the man who sold his soul to the devil uh, in return for the gift of being able to play the guitar. He was known to uh, most likely die of poisoning in August of 1938. Uh, he was widely considered the first member of the 27 Club. So, uh, yeah, he was very popular in um, the early 1900s, and um, his depiction was um, actually made into a movie actually into a scene of a movie if um, you've ever seen the movie oh brother where art thou uh, there is a scene in the movie where they pick up a guitarist um, at the crossroads no less a black dude by the name of tommy and um he mentions later on that you know he sold his soul to the devil to play the guitar it's a it's a pretty you know crazy depiction of what uh you know what a, a person would have been going through during that time where you know, you were just kind of living by the seat of your pants and uh, going around trying to get your music exposed and become popular and famous. And, you know, it's just uh, it's a very weird situation to think about or lifestyle to think about uh, compared to, you know, the lifestyles of today where, you know, you just, you know, most people get up and go to work and do a nine to five and, you know, sit in an office. And that's pretty much it. Back then, this was something that a lot of people did. And a lot of people, you know, either were good at it and you know made a name for themselves or i'm sure there was a lot of them that didn't make it and uh, you know gave up along the way but that was a way of life back then it's just kind of crazy to uh, think about how uh, that was at that time so again that's a wrap for the 27 club uh, but a very uh, you know creepy coincidence we we might want to call it a coincidence some may want to call it a curse but there's uh, definitely something going on 
Well, um, again, guys, um, I wanted to uh, give you guys a uh, recommendation for something to watch. And um, there is a series on Netflix. It's called uh, Everything Sucks. And it's a Netflix original. And it's about a high school you know, situation kind of thing. Uh, but it's set in the early 90s. So for people like me... Uh, who are around the 38 to 40 year old range, uh, <laughs> late 30s, early 40s, you know, grew up in the 80s and was in the high school in the early 90s. Um, it's a complete throwback to the 90s. All the clothes, the hair, the music, everything, you name it. Um, it's it's in this uh, series. So it's a it's a cool throwback to um, that time. And it's it's nice to you know, kind of go back in, in time and say, oh, I remember this, I remember that. So it's a cr- pretty cool series. And the storyline isn't bad either. It's uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's about, you know, these uh, kids that are going in high school, but more particularly this one uh, who's in love with this other girl who ends up being uh, a lesbian. But um, I'm not going to give up too much away, but that's where it starts and uh, it goes on from there. But a very interesting um, show on Netflix called, again, Everything Sucks. Definitely check it out. All right, guys, that's it. That's finito. That's it. No more for tonight. Um, Again, I'm Will Martinez for Dark Fringe Radio. Again, catch us on uh, all our fronts on if you have a uh, iPhone, you can catch us through iTunes. Uh, Just look up Dark Fringe Radio. And if you have an Android, just go through your Google Play app. Look up Dark Fringe Radio there as well. Uh, If that's too complicated for you, you can go to straight to SoundCloud, uh, soundcloud.com. Just look up uh, Dark Fringe Radio. You can find us there. We're also on FM Player as well. That's also another avenue uh, that you can catch us as well. Just look up FM Player. Uh, go to the Google search and you know put that in your uh, bar, uh, and uh, you'll be able to find FM Player. You can just look it up. Just look up Dark Fringe Radio on Google. It'll actually pop up on the list as well. So um, there's plenty of ways you can catch the show. Any suggestions, anything at all, uh, if you want to become a guest, uh, if you have something interesting you want to talk about, Give us a shout out, thedarkfringe at gmail.com. Again, it's thedarkfringe at gmail.com. All right, guys, again, I'm Will Martinez, and I hope to see you guys next week.